This is the Ellis Martin Report. You'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. We want you to know up front, eyes wide open, companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Some of the analyst segments are sponsored as well. Ellis Martin may have a financial position in issues mentioned on this program. Whatever. I'm telling you now so you don't wonder later. Have I ever lied to you? No. And I'm not going to start now. So why bring it up? You know how it makes me feel. I'm a sensitive guy. (laughs) I'm the announcer for the Ellis Martin Report, and I'm okay with my feelings. Okay, on the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Patrick Highsmith, the CEO of Bellhaven Copper and Gold. Bellhaven trades on the Venture Exchange under the symbol bhv.v and the U.S. on the OTC as BHVCF. Mr. Highsmith has an extensive background working for major mining companies such as Rio Tinto and BHP Billiton, and he managed exploration business development for Newmont Mining. Bellhaven is growing copper and gold resources in Latin America with properties in Colombia and Panama. Patrick, welcome to the program. Thank you, Alice. Thanks for having me. You're one of the very few companies that's managing to get financed in this crazy market. How'd you pull it off? Well, Alice, it is a challenging market, and we certainly weren't actually out there looking for it, quite frankly. We had sufficient cash to execute our current plan at the La Mina project in Colombia, but in meeting investors, we looked for long-term thinkers, people who are long gold, people who know that gold in the ground is a lot cheaper right now than it is in a vault. And we found some of those in Europe, and those discussions progressed, and soon we learned that these guys were so long-term in their thinking that they were willing to lock up their shares and their warrants for two years. And we knew that not many investors were willing to put that kind of hold on their paper. And so we thought we can certainly minimize the dilution by taking a little bit of money in this very difficult time so that we can ensure we can control our destiny and drill our targets that we need to drill right now. And at the same time, we manage that dilution because we know that stock won't be trading. If you look back at our news release, you'll see the details of that. But effectively, that's a two-year escrow. But if the stock does progress up to 50 cents and trade over that, the stock and the warrants would come out of escrow. And we could even accelerate the warrants then. So it was about the terms for us, Ellis, and quality new investors who realize now is the time to buy gold stories. And we were happy to welcome them on board. Now, did you cultivate these folks, or did they just start following the company at some point and decided, you know what, now we'd like to become involved? Well, Ellis, as you probably know, I, I kind of like to do my business on a, on a relationship basis. And so I think I cultivate everybody I meet in the industry, frankly. But yes, we met these folks uh, probably about a year ago, PDAC 2012. I'd been on board about a month. And we began to you know, find places where our visions aligned and, and listen to the kind of things they were investing in, the kind of things they were looking for. And when we met again in Munich in the fall, the buy opportunity, of course, was even better by then. And so, yeah, we cultivate those relationships. We look for places where our visions cross and we try 
try to find a way that's mutually beneficial to do business. So it did take a while to cultivate that relationship. And frankly, that's a bit of a sales cycle in our business, getting to know each other, management, knowing the investor, and, and management having an opportunity to deliver on a few things. And the investor, of course, is always watching. So the due diligence time period is however long it takes for everyone to feel comfortable before they do business. Absolutely. Frankly, Ellis, we said no several times to a proposed financing. Obviously, dilution is hard on any junior company, and we were paying close attention to that. But when the terms began to make more sense to us, we basically came to an agreement that uh, it did make sense to do a small financing now. And of course, I'm Gold joining in, uh, exercising their right to maintain interest was also another thing that nudged us in favor of, yes, these are quality investors, and, and I'm Gold's relationship with us is is still strong after a year and a half, and, and they're going to top up as well. That just nudged us over the edge, and certainly getting to know each other and the due diligence process made it all work out, and, and once we started talking, it actually closed quite quickly. Give our listeners to the segment an overview of the Lamina Project, if you don't mind. Sure. The Lamina Project is in the rapidly growing Calca Belt of Colombia, and you and I have talked before about the rate of gold discovery in the Calca Belt. It's nothing short of extraordinary in the sense that discoveries are being made rapidly. They tend to be at or near surface. And this part of the world led to a number of exciting discoveries in recent years, including the Lamina Project. At Bellhaven, we have a 43101 compliant resource there that's about 1.6 million ounces of gold or 2.6 million ounces of gold equivalent, if you want to count the copper as gold. And that's contained in about 80 million tons of rock that average just about a gram per ton gold equivalent grades. So it's actually a little better grade than most porphyry deposits. These are called porphyry gold copper deposits, similar to the big porphyries being mined in Chile, but those tend to be copper dominant, and these in Colombia tend to be gold dominant. It's a similar deposit type to the giant La Colosa that Anglo Gold is in pre-feasibility on. That's, that's more than 24 million ounces of gold. So that's Bellhaven's focus the Lamina project. We have one drill there now. We've just announced results on the fourth porphyry deposit that we've discovered there called Lagarucha. And so it's a cluster of these porphyry deposits that do come to surface. And that's the real focus of Bellhaven right now. But at the same time Bellhaven has a resource in Colombia, we have a really exciting early stage exploration opportunity in Panama. And uh, I've just returned from there last week. And Panama is also an emerging gold copper belt. And we believe it's getting ready to start moving as well. So the investor in Bellhaven has an eye on Colombia, where we have resources, and an eye on Panama, where we have some large exploration applications that we hope to see moving in 2013. Now, I haven't been to Panama, but I understand that Panama City has come along as a financial center and quite the place to conduct business. I hear it's a great place to be. There's a lot of attention on Panama right now, Ellison. When you visit the city, you can see why. The banking industry is strong. We see real estate developments going, great guns. There are major skyscrapers. It looks a bit like South Beach around Miami, in fact. And Bellhaven was actually founded with an emphasis on Panama back uh, in, more in the early 2000s. And two of our directors are Panamanian. We have a number of investors there. I had a luncheon with some of our investors last week. And we do like it. It's transparent. We move money through the banking system there on the way to Colombia with no drama whatsoever. We see a really pro-development economy. It just had to come to terms with some First Nations issues and how they were going to manage their mineral resource development. And a 
of course, as you know, with First Quantum making a bid for InMet right now, it's a bit in the news. And when I travel to Toronto, I certainly get an earful asking, when is Panama going to come alive? We're, of course, careful with our shareholders' money, and without having concessions granted, we're not going to be spending money. But the process seems to be moving along, and we have a pro-development ear sitting across the table from us when we talk to the government, and we like that. So we agree it's a pro-business, and, of course, the geological setting there is also very exciting. Well, when you and I first met in New Orleans, we discussed market fundamentals aside from the company. And at this point in time, of course, copper and gold are often found together. But gold is more of a long-term speculation in this market. Copper is always an industrial metal. And these emerging economies around the world, places like Panama, there's going to be a need for it. I remember a few years ago, if anyone had copper in the ground, it was already spoken for. No, those are, are great observations, and, and Bellhaven, of course, has both metals in our name, and, and for good reason. The deposits we currently are drilling in Colombia have both copper and gold. But I'm very long gold, as you and I discussed, and I'm sure as we talk in the coming weeks, we'll talk more about gold. But just to touch base on copper for a minute, when I was at BHP in the 90s, we always saw copper returning to the long-term average. In other words, we saw a declining price in copper with technological innovation and discovery and all those things. But when I was at Newmont earlier uh, in the 2000s, we saw that fundamental shift where most of us believe the electrification of China and India has pushed us out of that trend. And it's hard to imagine copper back at even an inflation-adjusted sort of 80 cents or a dollar. It's really hard to imagine. And yet, in my relatively short career, 24 years, I've seen 40-cent copper. So I was at Escondida when I was at BHP, and and it was arguably one of the few copper mines, maybe a handful in the world that were profitable in those days. And so I think there is a paradigm shift. The pure demand for electrification in the developing world, I believe to be irreversible. Once the Chinese communists have uh, begun to electrify their country, the demand becomes overwhelming, and they certainly aren't going backwards. Communists tend to not like revolutions, in my opinion, and I think if you were to slow down the development in China, you'd have one of those on your hands. And so the pressure on the supply is important. And as you know, a number of major copper projects are either not getting built at all, maybe Pebble falls into that category, or getting built at a much slower pace than they might have been in the past, and certainly OU Togoi falls into that category. So with some of these big copper developments questionable, like Resolution or like Pebble, there's real pressure on supply and demand, and I like that environment, and I like to be in a place where uh, I'm discovering metals that the world needs, and copper is certainly one of those. You mentioned the Chinese. They had their foot in Latin America, especially in Panama. Do you see them as a potential direct market down the road? China's got a ravenous appetite for resources of all kinds, and right when I left Newman in 2008, I did some consulting for Chinese groups who were appropriately cashed up before the crash came, and were, as you probably saw as well, looking to acquire assets in that distressed environment. And we do see that again. We see them prowling, and as any wise purchaser would be in this market. With gold, of course, their understanding's a little different. They've had a love affair with it to some degree, but when it came to investing, they never really seem to have grasped the gold is money mentality that certainly we have. The Canadians have led the way in the Toronto markets, and of course the Americans and the Indians and what have you. So in gold, we see more of a traditional view. The, the major gold companies will continue to need those major gold projects, and that's probably your best hunting grounds will be from those guys interacting with the major gold companies and selling into that market that way. However, that said, I've literally sat in meetings regarding Bellhaven's assets with Chinese investors or their representatives. So we know that the Chinese now are, are broadening their reach. I've been in other companies where we've talked with them 
about copper-nickel assets. So obviously the major industrial players include China. They have a ravenous appetite. And I think that when you look at a metal like copper, it's very easy to understand how a deal with an Asian consumer makes a lot of sense. Gold, maybe it's a little bit different because of the uh, optionality and where the gold price might go. We as a seller would have to be much more careful. But look, I recently sold a lithium company, and there's a commodity we don't think much about. Paul Matissic and I worked together in Lithium One, and our suitors in that company were the Chinese, the Japanese, and the Koreans. And that's because lithium batteries are going to be important in all those economies. And the Chinese jumped into that aggressively, and we had some discussions. It just happened that, that the Koreans were a bit more aggressive, and we did a deal there. But I think you're exactly right. They're always there, and we do run into them. And in this market where valuations are so low, the Chinese are awfully smart, and we've come across some very sharp businessmen looking at both copper and gold. You are no stranger to mining with quite a pedigree. You cut your teeth in Colorado at the Colorado School of Mines. You worked for Rio Tinto, BHP Billiton, and Newmont Mining. I say you have an extensive background, and you know what you're doing. Well, thank you. Oddly, I've never had any mining in my family. Originally from South Carolina, I was the first of us to look west and to find I had mining in my blood. But I think it's fair to say when I was a junior in college, I realized the mining industry was calling me, and I've, I've never looked back. Technical training and really working with great teams of people, seeing projects get built, working in an operating mine for Rio Tinto, working with, I believe, the best explorer at a major company in the modern era, Hugo Dummett, who ran exploration for BHP when I was there, a great mentor of mine. Strong training, working with guys you really respect and even idolize. That's the kind of pedigree that, that anybody my age should hope and pray that they have. So I feel very lucky, and I've enjoyed the business. The junior world, as I was telling someone the other day, I only entered the junior world in the bad times starting in 2008. So I haven't yet seen the good times in the junior world, really. So I'm excited to uh, look at those. But uh, in the future, with the challenges we're facing right now, you've really got to look at the team that's running your junior company. If you're an investor, if you're a geologist looking to go to work for a junior company, you really got to look around. Are these people trained? Do they understand the mining industry? Do they speak the vocabulary of the financial markets and the technical sector? And I've been lucky enough to kind of walk that line for a while since I was running exploration business development for Newmont. Since then, I've kind of been in the deal-making side, and I really enjoy it. But it's just a reminder to people who are in the sector. You really got to have a look at the team and see if they've got what it takes to deliver, because there's a lot of good geology out there, but there are fewer good people than there are good projects. You're really, as the president of Bellhaven, and you're looking at the junior mining sector from the vantage point of a major because of your background? I like to think that I, I have the view of a major company when I look at what we're doing at Bellhaven. And I ask myself the questions when we review ourselves internally. How is this going to be seen by a major company? Are we advancing this consistent with the way a major company would look to see it advance? So I do try to do that. But I have to tell you, Alice, I haven't forgotten. Our budgets are very, very different. Let me tell you, when I was running a PEA at Lithium One, for instance, I couldn't walk down the hall and hand that off to one of a dozen qualified engineers to give me their take on it. We had to do so much of it ourselves, and the same is true at Bellhaven. So it is a balance. You don't have the budgets. You don't have the large pool of people. But you really understand the mining industry. You know that the business model works. Junior companies can be nimble. They can be technically strong. They also can keep the communities engaged and supportive. And that makes a great partnership if a major company comes into your district or into your company. And perhaps that's how I'm Gold found its way into Bellhaven a year and a half ago, just for my time, actually. But I'm Gold invested because they saw a team of people and assets and community relations that were conducive to growing a mining district. And that's one of the reasons they invested and continue to invest under
my leadership at Bellhaven. So it is uh, an interesting point you bring up, kind of hybrid view of the world, running a junior but with a major pedigree. Tell us about your share structure. At Bellhaven, our share structure just recently added to, of course, with the financing we did. We have about 136 million shares outstanding. We have been traded down a lot over the last year, as a number of juniors have, of course, trading around 10 cents a share or so right now. I believe we're one of the most undervalued companies in the space. We have no debt. We have over $4 million cash in the bank. We have an emerging resource, and we're trading at something like $5 an ounce in the ground, Ellis, on an enterprise value basis, and yet we've found our gold for less than $5 an ounce so far. So at these ridiculous valuations, uh, I think it's a great buy and a great opportunity and excited to be involved. Well, we're excited to have you on the Ellis Martin Report, and we're appreciative of your sponsorship of Dudley Baker's segment on the program. He's become a shareholder, as a matter of fact. Patrick, thank you very much for joining us today on the program. Thank you, Ellis. It's a pleasure. Look forward to talking to you as this market turns around and we all start making money again. Well said, sir. Talk to you again soon. I've been speaking with Patrick Highsmith, the CEO of Bellhaven Copper and Gold, trading on the Venture Exchange under the symbol BHV and in the U.S. under the symbol BHVCF. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Hey, it's me, Cool Voice Guy. You should be feeling the effects of brain growth by now. Take a moment and relax. You can always catch up online at our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. If you listen to all the programs there, your mind will be saturated with money juice. That's what I call it. That's ellismartinreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the Silver Guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is themorganreport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you, Ellis. Are we seeing a contraction or route with regard to gold and silver? Well, I'm not sure what to name it, uh, Ellis. I think, obviously, we've been, I guess I'd use the word route. We have really got hit hard in the precious metals, if you're bullish, which, of course, I am. I would say I'm a permeable from the aspect that, you know, I have called the tops and bottoms pretty much all the way up and down. Not perfectly, but put my record against almost anybody's. I called the 840 top, the $21 top, and the 48 top and got all those almost perfectly. Bottoms I haven't been quite as good at, but I've gotten close on all the major bottoms. On the intermediate term trends, I guess my track record is fair. Basically, it's really impossible for anyone to say, oh, I know exactly where they're going to go. I mean, the whole idea between technical analysis is probability, really, and the probabilities are higher at some times than others. And the way I trade is to make the market prove itself. In other words, I'm not telling the market you're going higher. I'm telling the market this is a bottom. I'm saying I think this could be a bottom, and if that were true, this is what the market would have to do to prove it. And once it's proven that, then I'm going to make this action, and that's what I do on the -the over-the-shoulder service, which is part of your subscription to the Morgan Report. Quite honestly, Ellis, I haven't really had any trades on for quite some time because I've been, like everyone else, watching closely almost daily to 
what's been taking place in the market, and it's really um, disheartening. You know, I know there are people that follow my work closely, either that, you know, are on the membership service where they get, you know, greater insights. For example, you know, why wouldn't I be trading now, and why can't I pick a bottom here, that type of thing, versus people that just listen to shows like yours that get, you know, I think hopefully useful information to help them navigate this very difficult time, difficult from the aspect that we're seeing price behavior that does not match the reality of the economic environment. David, we've gone below the $30 an ounce benchmark for silver, and in the past it's always been a buying opportunity when we've had this conversation. Do you still feel that way today? I've stated for quite some time that $30 silver or less is a great buying opportunity longer term and longer term I mean three to five years out and to take advantage of that I've been saying that for months of course we've been above that mark until recently and now we're below that mark and of course the sentiment has been falling pretty much the whole time because people that bought in at higher prices than that and I have myself I bought a little bit above the 30 mark I'm pretty disciplined but again I'm not perfect the other part of the question really is where is the bottom? I mean, there's people out there saying silver's going back to 12. There's some saying to 20. And the answer is I don't know. But no one else knows either. I mean, you can forecast whatever you want. What I have stated for the record in my members-only portion and probably in the public once or twice is I do think that the 26th level that we have visited like three times previously will hold. And the reason I say that is because we've tested it three times. Now, this, again, is technical analysis probability theory, if you will. What's interesting is to delve deeper into that. And all the times that it's gone into that level, it's rebounded very quickly. So what that means is the physical market at those levels is very strong, where it takes very little buying at that price level for the market to come back up. In other words, it's kind of like one of these loss leaders that you see. You used to see them quite often on TV. You see in the auto industry sometimes, it's like, well, here it is. We've got a brand new 2013 truck. This truck hasn't goes through all this stuff. It says, and this truck is only $20,022. And of course, those trucks are selling for like 35000 But they've got one of those available. It's similar to that. It's like you've only got so many ounces of silver available at $26. Now, could I be wrong here? Yeah, I could be. But what we do have is fact. And what I just stated is fact. And the fact is that every time silver's gotten into the low 26s, it hasn't stayed there very long. And not much has been available at that loss leader price, if you want to think of it in those terms. I think that would hold. Now, if it doesn't hold, then like any technician, and this makes you talk out of both sides of your mouth, we've got to reexamine. But I'm not going to reexamine that until it becomes a fact, because I don't think it's going to become a fact. I think anything under 30, I don't think you have to buy everything today. Could we go lower? And I think probably we will. These type of sell-offs are usually defined in a waterfall decline. It usually takes about three days in a row and then high volume. And recently we hit a death cross in the gold market. And this is where the 200-day moving average and the 50-day moving average cross to the downside, which has happened recently. And a lot of technical stuff works. Plus, what's so interesting about it is how the floor traders react and are almost like a Pavlov's dog situation where a lot of these technical indicators are just so tightly held belief systems that the knee-jerk reaction will take place regardless of anyone looking at the fundamentals or not. Most of these floor traders don't know anything about the fundamentals of the commodities that they trade on a daily basis because they're in and out and in and out and in and out all day long. And some of the longer held position position traders are in and out maybe on a weekly basis. And there's not that many that hold positions for long, long periods of time, although that does occur. That's fairly rare because the 
people that are really making their living trading are usually in and out of the markets very often. Point being that this death cross situation has put up more negative sentiment. So I would say one of the best indicators that you should really want to buy silver under 30 and gold to the $1,600 level or lower. And I think I was using 1550 on gold, but I don't want to misstate it. But anything I'd say under 16, you're probably quite safe on a longer term basis. Is these kind of sentiments where everybody, even the most ardent gold bull, is really starting to get very, very frustrated. And it's psychology. They're winning when you're losing on a mental basis. If you're thinking they're right because of the price alone, then you're not thinking very strongly in my book. The reason being is that you know, you're supposed to buy low. You're supposed to take advantage of the market. The market's now at a point that hasn't been for quite some time in the silver market and the gold market. And this is opportunity. Now, there's really hardened investors out there that probably didn't have a gold position, have been waiting for silver to be under 30 and waiting for gold to get under 1600 And they're saying, good. And these type of people are disciplined. They're going to start to accumulate in this level. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. Silver has been considered a precious metal for 6,000 years and currency since 600 BC. It's been commercially mined in Mexico since 1530 in mineral prolific and mining friendly Sonora State where El Tigre Silver Corp's 5,000 meter drill program is now underway. El Tigre's properties with gold and silver mining concessions span approximately 267 square miles. With an attractive share structure and a strong proven management team Team, El Tigre Silver Corp. is poised to identify a resource in an area that from 1903 to 1938 produced 75 million ounces of silver and 380,000 ounces of gold. Additionally, their tailing stockpile is currently progressing to production. Learn more about El Tigre Silver Corp. by visiting their website, eltigresilvercorp.com, or click through El Tigre's logo on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. You never write, you never call, but you know if you subscribe to our newsletter on the homepage of our website at ellismartinreport.com, we certainly will. And we're back. Can we expect to see some of the big funds accumulate more bullion again? Great question. I can't disclose a whole lot, and some of it is based on sources that are good sources. So let me just say, treat what I'm about to say as conjecture, not as fact or a strong opinion. I have been recently given information and I've been very recently, there's actually uh, purportedly three major funds coming online, one right after the other, and these are vulture-type funds, meaning that they are going to come in and buy massive quantities of mining shares and bullion for the sole purpose of basically a buy-and-hold strategy for the next five years. And to me, that's aligned exactly with what a prudent investor does. This is something that take advantage. The public is panicking. They wish you never heard the word gold before. You know, even stalwarts like Jim Sinclair. I'm sure the amount of emails he's getting must just be unbearable. I mean, I know how many I'm getting. Just a lot of worrywarts out there, and they're saying this is the end, and it's over, and I never should have bought gold, and on and on. And Jim, who's probably got the best record of anybody I know with. Remember, I'm old enough to have gone through one full cycle of the bull market in the precious metals and the 20-year bear market, and now 10 years into the new bull market. And he made a statement, which is a bold one at that, but I wouldn't bet against Jim Sinclair that this will be over, meaning this washout bottom, that's what I'm calling it, not him, would be done by his birthday, which is the end of March. So if he's right, we've got maybe another month of pain or so. Regardless, I don't see any reason to give up here. This, again, is an opportunity, but most people don't say it. So people run on their emotion, not on the fact. 
fact is, if you were patient and waited for it to get under 30 again, and no one knew if it would or it wouldn't. I mean, I thought we'd probably be in the 30th area. I know what I said about the, the ultimate low. I said the 26 that we already went through. Look at it for what it is. It's a price. It doesn't change the fundamental fact of what's going on in governments. It doesn't undermine the idea that the zero interest rate policy is basically a situation that cannot continue forever that governments around the world are trying to print their way out of a deficit situation that is beyond their control. And every reason for owning gold and silver have never been better. And then the thing, if you look at it from perhaps a humorous perspective, is something to laugh at. And the reason I say that is, look, you've got this situation with Germany not too long ago, which is frontline news for the gold arena, and they wanted their gold back. More recently, we had this publication uh, on the Internet and, and the mainstream that, you know, it's odd it's been performed. And oh yeah, the gold's there. In fact, some of the gold is even higher grade than they thought it was. Well, this is preposterous because if you think about it, what they're saying is, yeah, well, we've got all the gold. Well, if they have all the gold, then why can't Germany get their gold back? I mean, come on. Of course, they were auditing the U.S. gold, right? Well, why did they audit all the gold? And who owns it? And where is it? And on and on. I mean, it's like a magic trick you're doing to a three-year-old. They don't understand enough of the world to really have a much of a perceptive base or enough experience to really know what's going on. And you can fool them quite easily at age three, but you can't fool them as easily at age 13. The powers that be all call them are trying to pretend that we are that ignorant that, you know, they do this cursory inspection and publish this thing on the mainstream about, you know, well, don't worry, don't worry, everything's fine behind the curtain. We took a peek and see, it's fine. And yet these obvious questions about, well, where, if it's so fine, then why can't Germany get its gold back? I mean, this stuff drives me nuts, Ellis, but it doesn't dissuade me from knowing that the metals is probably not only is it probably I, I feel strongly it's the best place to be on an investment basis if you want to drill down further maybe a viable business would always be good education yourself is always good and preparedness I mean I never really use the word prepper very often but I think in today's world I think it behooves people to think that through are you prepared for a disaster I mean as we're doing the interview Mount Etna just you know went off this today I guess in uh, Sicily Italy. Uh, I don't know what the exact uh, situation is. There are signs out there that things are not normal economically, globally, politically, trade-wise, currency-wise, health-wise, weather-wise. I mean, you just go down the whole list, and I don't want to be Mr. Gloom, but I think I can be Mr. Realist and say, look, take a hard look and ask yourself this question. Do a thought experiment and say, I don't own any gold or silver. Now, almost everyone listening to the show does, but just think about it. I don't own any gold and silver as a thought experiment and say, if I were to take a hard look objectively today at what's going on not only globally in the world, but financially, monetary system, etc., what would I do? And, you know, if you have a better answer than getting into the precious metals, getting into, you know, some kind of preparedness situation, paying down your debt, living within your means, maybe saving more than you have before. In other words, hunkering down and being prepared financially, being prepared mentally, being prepared physically, then great. You know, I've just given you my opinion. I mean, a lot of stuff that uh, we do is factual based. I'm a degreed engineer. I think very logically. I think very factually. I think very objectively. But I'm still human. I certainly have emotions. And when I have an opinion, again, I try to preface it with that. But it's my strong opinion that you got to take kind of a holistic view of this situation. And to think that your leaders are going to really care about you or take care of you or be there for you is 
something I need, think you need to rethink. Well, we went from positive conjecture to, well, you better prepare yourself for the worst. Probably. I do move around, Ellis, as you know, and uh, just kind of a stream of consciousness. I just started spurting out my thoughts and emotions on the situation. I'm frustrated. I mean, I admit it. I don't like seeing gold and silver get hammered continually for no real fundamental reason. But there's a lot of fear in the market. And that's, is, again, an advantage to an astute investor. I mean, you want to buy when you're fearful. You want to sell when there's glee. And I had the highest rating ever when silver was going through the $35, 40 $45 mark, which was really a short time. And, you know, I specifically was saying above 35 especially, you know, be careful, be careful, be careful. Do not buy all you want. And, you know, please, if you have to buy some, don't buy all here and on and on. And I recently got an email from one of my members, and he's very upset. And that's very understandable. I don't know his exact price. He didn't tell me. But he bought much higher than now. And, you know, he's been holding probably for a year or two. And he's just very discouraged. That is the psychology market. In fact, I just put something out on Twitter that I did a year ago. It's on my Twitter feed, which is, I think it's SilverGuru22 is the Twitter feed. I think you can find it on Twitter pretty easy. And it says, what's happening with the metals? An interview with David Morgan about smashing the precious metals. I did that a year ago. But it's as pertinent today as it is right now. In fact, it's basically more of an in-depth interview done with this lady named uh, Sherry, who has a blog called Sherry Questioning All, on the psychology. And the psychology is where they win the war on this thing. It's if they can make believers become non-believers in the precious metals and people that don't think that there's an economic recovery believe that there is a recovery they will turn out to move out of one asset class and the other or sell their metal at a low or move on to something else the longer they can keep that psychological advantage i'll call it the longer you'll see the market in an area where we probably don't think it belongs but there's enough strong hands out there people that can't be swayed by this psychological maneuvering that will hold and also again take advantage of it again i want to come back and kind of be on a positive i mean this information i got about these purported funds coming on what i was told was these were you know massive amount of fiat massive amount of, of currencies coming in not all u.s based by the way and they're just looking for real things. I mean, look at what China's been doing. Have they really slowed down that much? Not really. I mean, they have bought real assets in the ground with their recycled U.S. debt or credit instruments. That tune really hasn't changed that much. Uh, the fundamentals haven't changed, but people can't rely on them or get discouraged again from price activity. Price activity is... Uh, is what it is. I mean, certainly, if you were in a situation and you bought silver at $40 and you had to sell today because, you know, of your economic conditions personally, you are not going to be happy. And believe me, I understand that. I've been in a situation similar years and years and years ago myself. But it happens. And what can I say? Maybe if you looked at it versus a different investment, it might be better or worse, depending on what you choose. But, you know, people have to live within the parameters of reality. And I think there's a very low amount of that around anymore. A lot of it is just so much psychological maneuvering based on what these major market trends are. And most of these markets are manipulated to a high, high degree. Well, I'm encouraged by our conversation, and I did see that the central banks did accumulate a large amount of gold bullion a short while ago, and that went almost unannounced. So this has been a positive conversation, in my opinion. Well, I hope it's been real. <laughs> uh, always try to make it real, and hopefully a little bit of humor in there. And, uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Again, I'm as anxious to see if Jim Sinclair is correct as the next person out there. 
thinking, he's saying again the end of March, so again roughly that's a month from now. I just don't see that this can go on a lot longer. Usually the bottoms are very, very much spike bottoms. In the silver market particularly, again, we'll have to see. Most of our listeners know how to find you, but for those that are hearing you for the very first time, talk about your website. Sure. The website is silver-investor.com. From there, you can get on the Twitter feed or independently, just SilverGuru22 on Twitter. And a YouTube channel is SilverGuru. David, again, thanks for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. My pleasure, Alice. Thank you. I've been speaking with the silver guru, David Morgan. Find him on the web at silver-investor.com or themorganreport.com. This segment has been sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Subscribe to our news alerts. When one of our sponsor companies puts out some news, you'll know about it fast. Register at ellismartinreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by Bellhaven Copper and Gold, a junior mining company with cash to support its current drill program, plus a foundational resource of copper and gold to build upon in Latin America. Bellhaven Copper and Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BHV and in the U.S., as BHVCF. Dudley Baker is the editor of JuniorMiningResources.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Hey, good to be here, Ellis. You know, why are we bothering with resources right now, with gold dying along with silver? Shouldn't we be into agriculture, biotech, biofarm, internet stocks, I don't know, razor blades? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, anything else has got to be easier than this uh, resource sector here right at the moment. It's kind of like, I guess, our, our passion, so to speak, has been in this resource sector and you know, for years, this has been basically my total focus. And I believe firmly that at the end of the day, we're all going to be winners here, but we're sure being challenged here big time at the moment. So as we're recording this, uh, you know, we've got gold uh, and silver plunging once again. But I think we're probably going to go down and try to do a double bottom of what we did last week. And this is probably good. So we're down around $20 an ounce as we we're recording this. We don't have much further to go to do this. And hopefully in time, this is just a matter of a few days that we can, uh, you know, flush this out and we get a clean start here. So a retest is always good. When you look at the charts, I mean, pretty much we had done like a a V bottom and gold spike down, spike back up. You know, intuitively, we're just thinking that it's, it's a good thing that we're going to come back down now for a retest. And a lot of, from a technical standpoint, I think a lot of other analysts are looking for this retest as well. So we hope that this will hold. And hopefully we will get this resource sector started back to the upside here, you know, uh, yeah, within the coming week, two weeks. I mentioned this last week. You had mentioned last year that you thought gold would head down to $1,400 an ounce before it ever bounce back, and we're probably going to test $1,500 an ounce soon. That didn't happen last year, but it seems like we could be on the way with no hope on the horizon, not without any news that's going to take the sector up again. Yeah, I may have alluded to that 1400 level. God, I, I hope, I personally hope we never get there. It seems that we've got very strong support on the charts around this 1525, 1530 area. 
you know, almost uh, gone down almost four times, and so now we may be going back down to retest one more time. So hopefully this is going to hold. Now, heaven forbid that gives way and we take out 1,500, then yeah, it could get much nastier yet. You know, it's almost hard to believe with so many of these share prices, shares that we follow that are already selling for pennies. Damn, how much worse can it get, you know? You know, we know kind of what happened in late 2008. It was just, uh, you know, total absence of buyers, and, and people were just uh, panicking, whether that was some funds that needed to liquidate or whatever, and just drove so many of these little companies down to, you know, one or two cents. For some of them, it wouldn't take much, uh, you know, just to, to really plunge. Yeah, I personally don't look for that to happen. I think we are very close now to, to putting in a bottom, and we're feeling our way through here. So I don't look for a major blowout to the bottom side. I'd like to say I'm not just hoping, I believe that that's going to be true, but there's always that possibility that our opinions could be wrong as well, you know. You've got to agree that gold is purely speculative. It's something that people invest in based on fear. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, well, you might say a little bit, but yeah, we've got, uh, you know, we've got all the fiat currencies of the world backed by nothing. So again, gold just makes so much sense for everybody to have in their portfolio and even the most conservative people probably need percentage of, of gold in their portfolio and with everything going on in the world with all the debt with all of this stuff now again with, fear with, fear with, again well well again it may be fear but it's it's uh i want to say that fear is is based on reality <laughs> and i mean it is what it is is the world is in one hell of a uh, an awkward position right now and uh, how in the world the world can pay off all the debt that's been accumulated something's got to happen and yes that's fear but that's fear that's actually based upon something not just pure emotional fear i think as an investor an appreciation that you know something's not right with the world call it fear but it makes sense we need some gold to protect ourselves you know nothing else for insurance purposes now of course what you and i do is we take this to a much higher level via the resource shares and of course this is where it gets more you know the much more speculation and everything and we do this you know for the potential at least of the much greater gains at the end of the day you know the 500 to the thousand percent gains you know, always believe that this is coming and i've had some great long-term track records in this in this arena so i know it's coming and that we're going to have you know be greatly rewarded here but again we're just being challenged right here we're losing a lot of individuals to the sector that are just getting disenchanted and that's all understandable but this is not the time in my opinion to be bailing out of this sector well, when that day possibly comes that our currency fails, as many have, there's not going to be enough gold or silver to fall into everyone's hand as a trading utensil. No, yeah, the currency doesn't have to be backed, I guess, 100% by, by gold or anything. I don't think anybody knows how this whole saga is going to play out here, you know, in the coming years. But I just think intuitively... I believe we all know that at least those that are listening realize that we're in this sector and that the gold and silver are going to be good performers at the end of the day here. Who's to say exactly how this is going to play out? I sleep well at night, even in the face of some of this carnage that we see, knowing that I'm correctly positioned. And if I was not correctly positioned here, where else would I be? Yeah, where you've got maybe in the States, the Dow Jones maybe haven't even looked here today, whether it was just a few points away from its, quote, all-time high, you know? Should we be in some other sectors? I don't know. Maybe we need some diversification here. I'm just, for me, pretty much a resource guy and very comfortable in this sector, even though it's been a nasty, nasty sector to be in. 
most recently. Now, I understand you just took a position invested in one of our sponsor companies, Bellhaven Copper and Gold, the sponsor of this segment. Tell us about your decision to become involved as a shareholder in Bellhaven. Yeah, I did just yesterday acquire a small position in Bellhaven. You know, I just thought, number one, they're the sponsor of the show. I took a quick look myself, and I said, this looks really interesting. Gold and Copper Project down in Colombia, I think just southwest of Medellin. And I thought, well, this looks pretty interesting. When you get a little company that's selling between $0.09 cents and $0.10, cents, they just closed a private placement, so now they've got some cash in the bank. You look at a chart. And it's like, you know, some people say, holy smokes, you'd be running like heck. This is a chart I love. I love to think that I'm in here right around the low. So just want to make sure we give the symbol here. But on the Venture Exchange, it's BHV. So Baker, Harry, Victor on the Venture Exchange. And so very, very, I'll say limited trading. So always on uh, on the smaller companies use, uh, you know, limit orders. But I was comfortable coming in and, and, and establishing a, a small initial position. Now this for sure is on my radar screen. So I always encourage everybody to always, you know, do your own due diligence. Don't just follow me blindly. But take a look for yourself and uh, and see what you think about it. But no, I'm glad glad to be on board as a shareholder, so this is pretty cool. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Bellhaven Copper and Gold, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BHV and the U.S. as BHVCF. Columbia is no longer the country made famous by Tom Clancy books. Terrorists have been tamed and corruption has been cleaned up. In 2012, the World Bank cited Colombia as the safest jurisdiction in Latin America for foreign investment. The country is now host to at least seven major mining companies and numerous junior exploration companies, companies such as Bellhaven Copper and Gold. The Caca Belt of Colombia hosts more than 63 million ounces of gold in resources and reserves, and more than 40 million ounces of that has been discovered in the past six years. In a depressed market for resource equities, Bellhaven's quality resources at surface and a world-class gold belt, cash to advance current drilling, and strong management make it both a value stock and a growth stock. Find Bellhaven on the web at bellhavencg.com. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. And we're back. Last week, you and I were talking about Mexico and Hermosillo. Do you have some different information since we spoke last? Are you a little bit more nervous about Mexico than you were a week ago? Uh, short answer is yes. The longer version is, um, yeah, I live here. I'm very comfortable here. I had dinner last night in Guadalajara. A fellow I've known for several years, a Canadian geologist here in Mexico. He's been down 20 years. It was enlightening, an enlightening dinner. Yes, Mexico is a great place to be. Great resources, but you got to be careful. There are still pockets within Mexico, geographically, say that it's known to those on the inside that there's companies that maybe have great resources. It all sounds good, but maybe it's right there in the, say, the Zeta territory. It's in a bad place. The bad guy's too close long lonely highways and you're you're vulnerable and so the description to me was Dudley you know you can be 20 kilometers to the left 20 kilometers to the right and you might be okay but if your project is right in the in the wrong spot you probably don't want to be there from an investor standpoint when I drove back last night I was like holy smokes man 
I got some incredible knowledge. I'm 100% confident this individual knows what he's uh, talking about. And so I'm planning another trip into Guadalajara early next week to uh, you know do dinner again with this individual and get my mining analyst to go with us and get a meeting of the minds as to okay what is what does this all mean you know and apparently there are you know hot zones that you just know that the insiders know that you should not be at and so i'm looking forward to getting more information on this and so you know we're not talking about any specific companies here at the moment that are in the wrong place at the wrong time but it's like i was kind of led to believe on on a few of them that people may know the names that yeah, may not be the best location to have a project it's one of these things that uh you know, in, in Durango and in Hermosillo at some investment conferences, I kind of, you know, hear little side conversations going on, and it's like alluding to maybe there's some issues here and there, and it's like you kind of don't want to pay attention to that sometimes. And now it's kind of really got my attention. We need to focus on this more. How do we deal with this all the time? In real life, it's going to be now going forward how this will help control some of our investment decisions, you know, with this additional information now. So, uh, anyway, it was a, a really interesting evening, and so I look forward to following up, and but just kind of waving the flag that, yes, Mexico is still a great place. There's, all the big companies are here. A lot of great projects. Well, Mexico is a big country. We talked about it last week when you were such an advocate for Mexico. I guess if you have a mining project, in the south side of Chicago, it's probably going to be dangerous, right? Yeah, that's just a, a good analogy. It's like we just have to know that specific geographical area. Is that a safe place? And let's face it, from a company standpoint, you don't want to put employees or whatever at risk if you're in a, in a, in a bad area. And apparently that area can be just a little bit down the road, you know, sometimes. Yeah, this is just general information that I'm getting. But again, it's an incredibly big country. Yeah. And so a lot of great resources. And it's just a full awareness that we, it's all the knowledge that we can get. The scary part is from the individual standpoint, and individual investor standpoint, is that how in the world would you ever know this? I mean, geographically, in Mexico or any other country. I mean, there's probably enough problems over in Africa and different, you know, great properties or projects. Geopolitical issues now is like it doesn't make sense to go in there to fight the battle, you know, to put your employees at risk to go in there to get the medals. Maybe it, there's a little bit of that going on here, and, and maybe all this will dissipate in the future. But, no, it was just in specific, you know, in, in our conversation over dinner last night, we, you know, we were talking about a few specific companies, and this, it was just kind of enlightening for me to hear other officers that there are some issues here in Mexico. But again, I think every country's probably got this. I'm still positive now with a little caveat that goes with it. Okay, but overall, Mexico is still a great place to do business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing negative there overall from my standpoint. And even though I live here, I'm not necessarily the first guy that's going to find out if there's issues going on. I would hope that they would share it with me. But, uh, you know, one friend that's got a drilling company, he's, uh, he's probably one of the few in the business. He's got 30 drills. Right now, all 30 are going, and he's got other requests to do more drilling. He is riding this incredible wave where so many of the companies are running out of cash or cutting back on their drilling, trying to conserve cash. My buddy's 30 rigs are, are all turning, and he happens to be drilling here for one of the biggest companies going. So he's got a great reputation. He was at dinner with us last night as well. I've got some great contacts. I'd love to say if there's something negative going on that, Somebody's going to give me a call and nudge me and say, Dudley, you've got some issues over here. I can't really bank on that happening, okay? I mean, that'd be really cool, but I'm not sure that I can count on that happening. But by far, 
living here in Mexico, I like to think that I've kind of got my nose to the, to the ground, and hopefully we can have a better sense of what's going on than, say, some of the other analysts that may be sitting up in Vancouver or Toronto or whatever trying to do the same thing. Fair enough. Tell us about your website, JuniorMiningResources.com. We've really creating a, a new kind of marketing image here, okay, with the Junior Mining Resources. It just kind of gave me a marketing portal. We've also created a, a JuniorMiningNews.com where we got a, a Twitter feed and we've done a, really a good job. A friend of mine, Ken Smith, that lives here in Mexico too, is to kind of cherry picking some really neat articles. A big picture news, as we call it, for resource investors. Visit either one of those. The two great services, the PreciousMetalsWarrants.com and the GreedyGuru.com, are both still in operation. Things are going well. Good subscriber basis. Those are subscription services where you know, basically we're trying to lead our followers to the great opportunities. Where do we personally find the great opportunities? By you know using different approaches, you know looking at other analysts that may be following the companies, you know honing in on this, fine tuning the insider activity on given companies, just trying to connect the dots in multiple ways, all with the objective, of course, of trying to find the best opportunities for our subscribers and of course for ourselves. We're basically involved in in so many different positions. This is where we choose to invest our money right now, as treacherous as that has been, but. We still believe that we're going to have a big kick to the upside, and we'll forget how bad this has been. So we're happy to be in this sector. So just invite everybody, yeah, join us, uh, visit our websites, get all the information, and see what we have to offer, and love to have you on board with us. Well, Dudley, as always, I appreciate your chatting with me today. Thanks very much for joining me on the program. Okay, thank you, Ellis. Always my pleasure. I've been speaking with Dudley Baker of JuniorMiningResources.com. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com. This segment has been sponsored by Bellhaven Copper and Gold, a junior mining company with cash to support its current drill program, plus a foundational resource of copper and gold to build upon in Latin America. Bellhaven Copper and Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BHB and in the U.S. as BHVCF. Hey, it's me, Cool Voice Guy. Unless your brain is the size of a watermelon, like mine, you'd probably like to hear these segments again and again and again. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. If you listen to all of them, your mind will be saturated with money juice. That's what I call it. That's ellismartinreport.com. Want to make money in resource stocks? Stay informed with Resource World Magazine, covering the latest developments in mining, oil, and gas and alternative energy. Subscribe now to save half off the newsstand price. Simply visit resourceworldmag.com or call 604-484-3800. Or pick up the latest edition at select book and magazine outlets. Resource World Magazine, your insight into the world of resource investment. Well, that's all you get for now. The Ellis Martin Report will be back soon. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and a few choice individuals engage us financially. But not like we're married or anything. To let you hear all about themselves. I'd like to hear about me too. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of our powerful programming on the web at ellismartinreport.com. The Ellis Martin Report is a unit of Big Sky Productions Incorporated. For Ellis Martin, this is Cool Voice Guy.